0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Uh, welcome, everyone. Welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Let's put this on vibrate. Okay, uh, everybody, all uh, women are welcome to join us at 1601 Quentin Road on Thursdays at 8 p.m. to join this uh, amazing, uplifting, crazy, inspirational, unbelievable food. And there's also a class as well uh, besides that. Okay, so now... Let us uh, let us begin. We are let's get let's get right into it. Uh, we're learning tonight the P'ruach Tu So we are on class number three on the, the thirteen principles of faith. Now we discussed before on how important these uh, this. Uh, These 13 principles are how you have to believe in these 13 principles. And if you don't believe in many of these 13 principles, the reason why I say many is because, well, stay tuned for the future classes. You'll see why. But if you don't believe in many of these 13 principles of faith, a person can lose his share in the world to come. And we we stated last week... Yeah, last week we stated how severe that is, how somebody could lose everything, everything that they've worked for if they don't believe in these uh, 13 principles of faith. These are the foundations of Judaism. These are really the foundations, and if you don't have this, you lose everything. So, tonight we're going on number five, but I want to first do a quick recap on on the first four because they sort of lead up to, uh, you know, to the fifth one. So... We started off with number one. Number one, the idea of the first of the 13 principles of faith is that God exists. Now, it seems very obvious, okay, obviously, you know, for many people that God exists, but in a sense, there's more details than just the existence of God than meets the eye. Number one, that God is the creator, which this is fairly simple. People, you know, have an easier time understanding that God is the creator, meaning that he created, not like we create something, but he created that something that we can't even begin to understand and comprehend the creation that God is capable of, meaning that God is able to take nothing and make something. That is the creator, yeshme'ayin is known as. The, uh, furthermore, in, in, still in the first principle that god is a manig manig is god is an overseer god supervises everything if i if i were to say one of the hardest ones i would say probably that 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 little iota of it the idea that god supervises everything and uh yesterday i was speaking about a similar topic and one of the one of the guys in the class were like well that's so easy of course god supervises everything i'm like what how much do you comprehend that do you ever get upset at anything ever because if you do, that means you don't. Re- I mean, you understand it, and, and you got the thirteen principles. You got the check over there. But to really believe that means that you'll never get upset on anything. That God supervises everything, which means is, is that when something goes bad, that's okay. When something goes good, that's also okay. I saw this uh, um, picture um, of of one of the Brustle of Rabbanim. I forgot who it was, and he sa- and he goes like this, and it says that emuna doesn't mean that everything will be okay. Emuna means that whatever turns out, you'll be okay. That no matter it's it's the way the perspective the way that we see things. So if you actually believe, and this is a very high level, if you actually believe that ev- that God supervises everything, and you could actually live that, then you won't be upset about everything. So that is, anyways, that is the first. Uh, um, that is the first of the thirteen uh, principles of faith. Now the idea is obviously you know it's very difficult to reach that high level that nothing will ever bother you, but you have to understand that God supervises everything. God created everything. God is independent of everything and anyone and anything. Number two is the idea that God is one, the unity of God. Now, when we mention unity, meaning that the good, the bad, and the ugly all comes from God. There's no dual forces. There's no other you know, powers that are coming in. There's nothing that, okay, you know it came in, but God didn't see it. Everything that happens in your life, good and the bad, all comes directly from God. The idea also that angels as well... Are all part of God. They're not. They're not any independent being, and that's what we're going to get to today. Because we'll speak about the you not even pray to angels. And, and the idea is that angels are nothing. They're they're just they're, they're like an extenuation of of God. You think of of the angels. I think the way that we explained it is angels is like a glove to God's hand. Again, God is incorporeal. Well, well, you know, the idea is that that they're no they're not independent. There's nothing independent other than God. That is number two. Number three is that God is incorporeal, meaning that God does not have. Any physical form. Not only does God not have any physical form, this I find also to be a very, very difficult one to actually live because many people, when the second that you say God, you, want to, you picture something, the second that you picture something, you're, eh, you're like, you're done. Like you can't picture anything. Like there's nothing there. You can't put any physical attribute to God. Even further, you can't put any physical image to God. Furthermore, not only physicality, but also spirituality. We said that God created physical and God created spiritual also. We mentioned that God created the physical world, the, the, the earth. When God created the arets, the earth, that means that God created all physical things. And when it says shemaim, that God created the heavens, that means all spiritual things. So God created physical and God created spiritual. God is not spiritual. People have a very hard time, you know, understanding this. God, spirituality is a creation. God is above spirituality. God is a, and it's it's hard for us to, to comprehend that. Now, the most important aspect that we have to understand over here is that God is not physical. That is the, that is what the, 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 third of the thirteen principles of faith. I mentioned that God is not a physical, and even though the Torah brings down many physical attributes, God's arm, God's strength, God's art, you know, all these different, you know, things that seem to be anthropomorphic, you know, ideas about God, these are only, says the Gemara and Bachot, only in a way that we'd be able to understand it. It's talked, it, the Gemara and the Torah speaks in a way that men can understand. That is why the Torah speaks it in that, in, in that matter. And finally, number four is that God, the, it speaks about the eternity of God. God is eternal, was before everything, will be after everything. There is, God is not bound to space and time. God is, you know, infinite. The, uh, the idea between the third and the fourth, uh, and I don't know if you guys are following the theme over here, the, the theme over here really is, is that we don't understand God, we don't know God, we know one thing, God exists. About more than God, we cannot begin to comprehend it. So in the third principle, we said that God is not, there's no, there's no physical attributes of God. That is meaning, based on our human limitations, we cannot understand God. When we went on to the fourth principle and we said that God is above time, God was before and afterwards, we're, we're, what we're really saying is that not only do we not understand God because of our human limitations, we don't understand God because of all limitations of reality. The reality that we understand that we, don't, we can't even begin to comprehend it. Now, I know this is very philosophical and sometimes it's very hard to, uh, you know, to comprehend, but I, I think the gist of it is very, very simple. God is the creator, God, God created the world, God is one, God is incorporeal, there's no, there's no physicality to him, and God is eternal, fairly simple, right, you guys are with me so far, any questions on, on that, the last, uh, um, no, okay, good, okay, let us begin with the fifth principle, that was, uh, that was just an introduction, and you'll soon see why we, we need to uh, deal with the, uh, the, it, with the, with the previous uh, principles. The fifth principle of faith is, I believe with perfect faith, with perfect knowledge, that God, that there is only, you're only able to play, pray only to God. And you're not, you're not you're not, you don't have the ability, you're not able, it's inappropriate to pray to anybody else. So this is a very, very interesting, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, principle, that the only one to pray, Worship is only God. And you're not allowed to worship anybody else. We have over here a positive and we have over here a negative. The positive is that we can only pray to God. A negative, we cannot pray to anybody else. So I want to break it up into that thing. I want to first discuss about the negative, like what, what we're not supposed to do, and then maybe figure out what we are supposed to do. And this is really going to be a class to try to understand and comprehend prayer. And in fact, I, you know, I feel like this class is so important that I do want to give a class about prayer, you know, in the, like a series actually on prayer. And I'm going to have to repeat this. Like, I'm actually prep appearing to repeat this information. Usually, you know, if you don't have enough information, you have to... You have to I mean, th- this is so important that I'm intending on repeating again. That's how that's how important today's class is regarding tefillah, regarding prayer, to understand and comprehend what it means to pray and how it means to pray and how you should not pray. So, first and foremost, this is the, the, the source for this is in Devarim, chapter 4, verse 9. In verse 19, it says, the Torah says that, that you know, God was saying that you, lest you should look up to the heavens. You'll see the stars and the moon and you'll want to worship them. Don't worship them. Don't be drawn to them. Also, in Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 it says you're not allowed to have any other gods before me only you're only allowed to pray to God and that is it this is what the Rambam says the Rambam calls a Min a Min is somebody who. one of the categories of Min is someone who serves a star or a constellation as a sort of an advocate an in-between between between me and God there's an intermediary that type of person that believes that there's an intermediary that person has no share in the world to come so let us try to explain what this, uh, you know, what this means. In order to begin to explain it, we have first have to explain the idea of the wrong way to pray, which is obviously idolatry. But we'll bring it off into less than idolatry, and then we could we could speak about the right way to pray. the The ancient philosophers, explains or Psymptom Pincus, originally they realized that there was a god, but you know, this is when like idolatry was rampant. They realized there was a god, but. God is, like, huge. You can't even begin to understand God. You can't even compre- you know, begin to comprehend God. So they were like, God is so far away, the only way that we could get to God is if we put, like, a middleman. We have to put a middleman. You think about it this way. A giant cannot crawl through an anthole. As strong as a giant is, it's going to have to break it, it has to do something. As powerful as someone is, there's a limit to whatever they could do. It says, if God is so great and we're so low... There's a very big disconnect going on over here. We need that middleman going on, going, going in between over there, and the example that they used to explain is is thinking about the difference between animal and man. Animal and man, they're worlds apart, and but even still, they're not even. Com- even close to what the difference between man and God, but they're still worlds apart. Now, can animal and, and man can they interact? Can they talk? Can they converse? They don't. They don't. There's no conversation that they're able to do. They're not able to speak with each So, so too, just like man and animal cannot converse, so too man and God cannot converse. There needs to be an intermediary. This is how the ancient philosophers, the ancient secular philosophers, used to used to uh, used to think. The you know the idea is is that you could always look at things at two different angles. You could look at something as being is so great that it can't be lowered or his greatness is that he could be lowered meaning that you look at god is so great he's so far apart there's no way we can reach him that's one way to look at it the other way to look at it is god is so great god could be so great and could be over here at the same point in time it depends on the lens that you're looking to see and, and how you understand reality and this by the way is true for everything everything in life it depends on your lenses that you're looking into there are two people that have the same exact scenario one is happy one is depressed now it's not because the scenario changed, not because the, you know life wasn't fair for them, it's not because something was difficult then. It all depends on the lens that you're looking at. And if there's one of the main things that Judaism teaches us, it teaches you how to think. That's what the whole idea of learning to wow. Learning constantly learning, you learn how to how to think. You learn how to how to put things in perspective. You learn things and I, and I believe this is why you have many Jews that are very very successful. Because a problem is brought to a Jew, it doesn't just okay, you know, deal with it and let's figure it out. A Jew is taught since they were very very young Gemara. What's gemara? You have to You have to dissect every single angle. So when you're dealing with a problem, you're dissecting every single angle. You're looking at it from a different perspective. You're looking at it from a different lens. Everything in life can be looked at a positive and a negative. It all depends on you. At the end of the day, you should know, it's not going to make a difference, your outcome. Meaning that if the bad thing happened, the bad thing happened. The difference is how you're going to deal with it. So by you being very grouchy upon it, it's not going to change the outcome. By you being very happy about it, it's not also not going to change per se the outcome. But what is it going to change? It's going to change your own reality. Your own, the way that you're going to perceive reality. Think of this idea of somebody holding a grudge. Somebody who holds a grudge... Does nothing to the... Like, you see, you hate somebody with, like, a deep-seated... Like, you want that person to fall down 12 flights of stairs onto sharp nails and glass, and then to be lit on fire by gasoline, and then to be rolled over in mud, and then kicked by pigs, and then to be trampled by horses, and then to be fed to the cows. Um... I, I might have this prepared, I don't know. Um, but, you know, you, like, let's say you have a deep seated, like, a really deep seated hatred for somebody. The fact that you're, like, dreaming about his demise or her demise, does that do anything to her? She's whistling down the street, walking, nothing. And you're like, oh, if I have the power of God in me. I will, you know, like, I, you know, if I had the staff of something, you know, you think of all the bad things you do. All that's happening right now is that your blood pressure is rising, you're getting stressed out. And the other person is just swinging you know, whistling down the road. Nothing, nothing is changing that person. Your attitude doesn't change that person. Your attitude only changes you. So it all depends on the outlook that you look at in your life. There's, there's two ways to look at it. The secular people, the secular, uh, you know, the, 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 the world used to look at God. And now look that. God is so great, God can't interact with us. Jewish, Jewish perspective is like, what are you talking about? Just the opposite. God is so great that God could interact with us. You're looking at it from the wrong lens. What is the proof of this? Look at Shlomo Melech. Shalom Melch is a proof that you could uh, converse between animal and, and man. Shalom knew the, the, the language of the animals. The, the idea is that, that when you think of a great person, if there is something that this great person can lower themselves to, that means that that great person is limited. You think about a good leader, a good boss, you could say. A leader is a better example. A good leader is somebody who is able to know every problem of every soldier in the field. Everybody. They know how to, like, let's say you have, you know what a good boss is? They walk in, it can be a huge, huge corporation. But a good boss sees, you know, the security guard in the front and says, hey, how's it going? How's your kids? How's everything? That's a good, that's a good leader. That's a good boss. Somebody that could take, you know, bring himself down to everybody's level and be able to relate to that person's level. Greatness doesn't mean that you have 7,000 employees and you could delegate, you know, 4,000 things. The, the idea is that you're able to bring yourself down. The idol worshippers used to believe, and they they still do, that in order to get in contact with God, because God is so great, God is so far, you need to have this this uh this intermediary. And Judaism says no, just the opposite. God is so near to the extent that how close is God that let's say somebody buys a pair of socks and the socks doesn't match exactly what they wanted to buy, and there's a little bit of pain that you feel, you know, in that like oh you know I wish I would have bought a different pair of socks and it sucks like you know wait, what is socks? Even that tiny little bit of pain that is felt by God. That is how close God is, as opposed to how I. Do- you understand, it's a world of a difference. It's not even. It's not like okay, you missed it by like uh, you know, a little bit. You're talking about two different worlds. At one, at one, at one perspective, you know, the idolatry. The, it's all the way over there. We cannot comprehend to God. God cannot does not deal with us. God is so far away. In Judaism, God is so close that God. It bothers God everything that that hurts you more than it hurts you. That's how close God is to the Jewish people. God is to the you know to the people. The the Sefer HaKarim brings down that... <clears throat> let's say a person believes this idea of prayer. He believes everything that I just said. He, he, he knows that the idolatry part is wrong, but the the right, you know, the, the Jewish part is right. And then he, he knows that God hears your prayer, God listens to the prayer, but sometimes, let's say he, you know, mistakes because of his sins, he cannot stand, he's not fit to stand in front of God in front of prayer. And I've had this conversation with many people, like, oh, because of the bad things that I did, I can't sit in front of God, I can't pray to God. And the Sefer Hakim says... He says you realize that if you're dealing with sins and merit then even if you be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu as righteous as Moshe Rabbeinu you still would not be fitting to stand in front of God so it's not because of your sins and merits you think that makes a difference that doesn't make a difference God wants to hear your prayers it doesn't matter how far you are fallen because guess what if God has a limit that means that God is limited by what he's doing if people go and they do something bad they're like okay I can't pray I can't do anything what are you talking about what does one thing have to do with another he says, oh, beforehand you are a righteous person and you were fitting to sit in front of God. All of a sudden now you did something wrong and now you're not fitting. What makes you think you were so righteous beforehand? You weren't righteous beforehand. You weren't fitting now. The difference is, is that God wants to hear you speak. God wants to hear you pray. God wants you to converse with Him. Regardless of your background. Regardless of where you're standing. The, the proof of this, says Absinthe Shem is from Menasha." The king of Men- Menasha in, in Ruth Rabbah brings down... The, if anybody knows about Menashe, he was a very wicked man. Brought the idol worship into the temple. Did very, very bad things. And the, he was captured by the king of Ashur. And they placed him in this copper pot. Just picture this. Placed him in a copper pot and they lit a fire under the copper pot. Just picture of that. You know, this was, a, this was an actual torture... Um, Device that what they would do is that they would put somebody, it looked like, I've, I've actually seen a, a replica of it. It, it was like a, a calf. It looks like a cow. And it was hollow. And they put somebody inside this like iron, copper type of cow. And they lit a fire under it. And this person was stuck inside. You know what that I means? That's like burning very slowly alive. That's what you have to, you know, that the, every, your body gets cinched. And Menasha M- you know, he was, he was caught in that. And he started calling out to every single idol. And obviously no one prayed because they're all fake. There's nothing to, you know, no one was able to save him. Until finally he goes and says, you know what? Let me pray to God. Let me pray to the God of, the, you know, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me pray to them. Let's see what happens. If he saves me, then fine. If not, then I see he's just the same as everybody else. So he goes and he prays in front of God. This King Menashe goes and prays in front of God. Now the angels hear this prayer. They quickly want to like stop the prayer and be like, what are you kidding me? This is not going up there. And God says, no, 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 no. He says, what are you doing? He's praying. He's praying, I'm going to listen to him. And to the extent that the, the angels, the, the midrash brings down, the angels wanted to block it. God dug under where the angels block in order to accept the prayer. Now what was the, what was the whole idea behind this? Minashe was saying, say listen, he says God is unlimited. Meaning that it doesn't matter how far I've fallen, I could still pray. Because if, if I've fallen so low that I cannot pray to God, that means that there's a limit to how far God's mercy is. And there's no limit to how far God's mercy is. So no matter how far you have fallen, how far you have gone, you still have the ability to pray. You still have the ability to converse with God. Hashem hears the prayer of every single person. There's no limit to how far His mercy is. So, the... That's it, right? Yeah, well, yeah, ultimately. Yeah, the, um, the idea over here is with, um, with idolatry is we, ha- we have to put some things in perspective. You know, uh, number one, idolatry is known as a very, 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 very big sin against Judaism. Now, why is it such a big deal? Like, even more so, like, you would think somebody chisels something out of wood, and then he says, oh, uh, you created me. And he goes and he starts praying to this, uh, to this piece of it. The guy needs psychiatric help. And, you know, a sin, okay, fine, it's a sin, but the guy, you know... You know, there's some, something going on over there. He just built something and now he's praying to it. Like, that, uh, like you know, idolatry, it's, 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 it's the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. Why is it such a big deal? Like, it's such a big thing. Like, well, and furthermore, why do we speak about it? The Torah speaks about it if it's real. It says the, it says the Pasuk in, in Shemot. That you should not, you're not allowed to have any other gods in front of you. Why are we using the word? What, what does it mean? Is, is this real or is this fake? Why are we using idolatry as a real term? We have to understand the, the concept of idolatry in order to understand how not to pray. Now, when you have an adult that goes down the street and driving a car, let's say, and he looks down the road. Now he sees trees, he sees bushes, he sees you know a woman, you know, dragging the stroller, you see people shopping, you see, you see the whole world around you. Now you have a baby sitting in the back seat, strapped in, in the you know in the in the car seat, looking at the same exact thing. But what does the baby see? I mean, it sees the same thing, but it you know, comprehends it. It's like, you know, shapes, images, you know, blue sky, you know, something else. They're both looking at the same thing, but they're comprehending very, very different things. The way that we see, the, the, when we look at, let's say, the stars, astrology, I use that as an example, because people used to worship the stars and the suns and the moon. The, when we, we see that, we see the sun, the stars, and the moon. What we see is like what an infant sees, when they are looking outside a window. In the olden days, in the ancient days, they, when, when an idolatry started, they knew the, the depth behind these, you know, the, the, the astrology. They knew be, the depth behind what do the stars represent? What do the, the sun mean? Like, there, there's power behind it. In fact, the Rambam, in the Ilchot Yisodei Atura, brings down that the stars and the heavenly spheres, they're living beings, and they possess knowledge. More knowledge, by the way, than human beings. Less knowledge than angels, but more knowledge than human beings. The, so these these people—they faced a real test. They were like, "Wait a minute, these—they're be- they're beings stars? like stars. They are alive. Yeah, they have knowledge. Crazy, right?" The zodiac signs are you know, stars. Have knowledge? No, Z- zodiac signs are real. Real. <laughs> <coughs> okay. Of course, it's not sound. The um, the idea over here was is that they really saw they they really saw the truth behind it they saw that there was power over here there was something over here but they misrepresented you know they misrepresented something there there is power in there explains why we keep hats, and i think we explained this before the um you know the idea of looking in the stars and seeing the future that's like a legit thing i mean nowadays we can't do it people that say they could do it run the other way and don't buy their newspapers. But, you know, in generally when you have this knowledge is something that did exist at one point. You know, how much we have it now, that's, that's to be debated. But they knew that the way that it worked, by looking at the stars and seeing the future is you can use that example as let's say somebody knows how to study seeds very well apple seeds orange seeds all different types of seeds from from plants and you show them let's say a handful of seeds from one particular you know species whatever and they say oh this yeah this is going to be the round tomatoes that's what it's going to grow and be like wow can you predict the future and be like no i just studied it i know that this seed belongs to that you know that type of tomato be like, no, 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 you're predicting the future. Uh, no, no, no. I, I know I know the, 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 what the seeds represent, what they have, the power that they have, and that's what's going to happen. The same idea is what the, the astrologers used to have, or the astronomers used to have. I keep on confusing those two. Was it? Astronomers, astrologers, astronomers. Yeah. Well, astrologers. Astro- astrology? Astrology. 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 astrology is telling the future? Thank you. So it's astrology. Okay. It's astrology. So was I saying it right the whole time? Yeah. Okay, good. High five. Okay, so now um, the astrologers, what they used to do is that they would look into the stars as if they're looking at seeds. They're like, okay, I see this is going to happen. They were just reading what's going to happen in the future because they just knew it. They just knew how it worked. It was all a mathematical, mathematical formula. The difference was is that there was power in that. But the power was manipulated and abused in a very, very negative way. To an example that Rabbi Khan al goes and explains like this. Say somebody has 200 bucks, and they want to go to a store, and they want to buy a $1,500 laptop. Now, simple mathematics will tell you, ain't going to happen. But let's say you're thinking, and you say, listen, you go to the guy behind the, the counter, and he says, the guy doesn't work there. the guy doesn't own the store. He says, listen, he says, I know I can't pay for that, but I'll slip you the 200 bucks, you put that in your pocket, and this laptop fell off the cart or whatever it is, you know, got lost or whatever it is, fell off like that. So, and they would do this type of trade. This type of trade, that represents idolatry. Idolatry has power in it. But what the idolaters use is that they use them, manipulate the power to try to bypass, you know, the system. And when they bypass the system, they got what they wanted, but through a negative way. And you think of it this way um, idolatry focuses on the person who holds the power. As as a, po- uh, as, a per- as opposed to the person who owns the power. Think of it like this. Let's say you have a CEO, and this CEO has fifty thousand employees, and there are let's say I don't know a thousand directors. You know, obviously there's a hierarchy of needs, and there's managers, and there's supervisors, and then there's one little salesperson, like all the way at the very very bottom. Now, this person at the salesperson, all the way at the bottom. Like the CEO, like doesn't know who he is, doesn't know anything about him. Does he care about the CEO? Not really. Like, who does he care to to, to make happy? His supervisor, his manager, or the CEO? He'd rather make the supervisor happy. So that's the guy who's going to tell him you can take PTO over here. You can't take PTO over here. You're going to get a bonus over here. You're not going to get a bonus over here. The CEO is so far advanced, it's not going to make a difference, you know, if he makes the CEO happy. I mean, we're not talking about a crazy situation where he's going to make the CEO happy, and then he's going to make him run his company. We know how old Jews think, right? But in general, right, you're thinking you're going to go and you're going to make it what? You're going to, you're going to try to make the person directly above you happy in order to get what you want. The the wielder of power. The idolaters, we're not looking at the at the source of the power, which is God. They're looking, who has the power right now? And if I could go and appease that power, who has that power right now, and I can get what I want, I'm good. I don't need anything anymore. The idea over here is, is that they, they were looking for a shortcut to get out of things. And the, the truth is, is that they were able to. If they knew what they were doing, they were able to, to get around certain things. The, when you're looking at this in respect to, to, uh, to prayer, the, there's a, there's a Mishnah uh, that says that, if somebody goes and has a love uh, that is based off something, that is based off of any, anything that's superficial, once that love, once that, that whatever objective is goes away, the love goes away. So think of it like this think of this scenario. So a man marries a woman based only because of her looks, only because of her looks and nothing else. The second that her looks goes, the love is going to go also because the, the foundation of everything was all based on the, on the love. So a love that is based on something, once that something goes, the love goes. Love that's not based on anything, once, nothing, once, once, that, once anything goes, it doesn't matter. It's not based on anything. The love is going to stay there forever. The idea of, of, uh, you know, of praying, if you're going and you're praying to God to get something and that's only you're doing... That means that your relationship with God is based off something. And that's why you have some people, let me try to explain this. Yeah, you know, you have some people that they will, let's say, um, become more religious in order to get something. And then they don't get something, so they don't become any more religious. I'm like, you are never religious to begin with. I mean, yeah, you practice some things. There is, of course. There's the idea 100% that you should do things even from the wrong perspective. But if somebody goes and is solely intent, of, let's say, becoming religious. And I've had the people, you know, like, they've tried to get married. They tried it. It's very difficult. They tried chatkhanin. They tried dieting online. They tried everything. It didn't work. Let's try God a little bit. Right? So they try God a little bit. God doesn't work out. So they go back to something else. Which means is that they, when they were becoming religious, it was based off something. Should they not do it? Of course they should still do it. Because hopefully we're, we're assuming that you're going to go on. You're going to continue it. If you're doing partially truthful, eventually it's going to turn, it's going to turn, uh, you know, nishma. But it's basically, it's going to turn for the right sake. But the, the foundation of it was based off, off falsehood it was based off something that wasn't going to last to begin with the, the you know idolaters they when they uh, you know the, when they went and they did something they did something to get something that's the only source of, the only reason why they wanted to do it is to get something and they got something and that's why the Torah speaks of idolatry as real it is real I mean it's fake but it's real I mean, it's very fake but it has real powers into it you get what I'm saying okay no maybe sometimes on How Tuesdays What? some things yeah the idolaters had power. They, they, they had power back then. How you could say it was black magic. You say something like that. There was some power in it. There was a reason why people, you know, now the, you know, the Chachamim ready, they went and, they, and they, they removed the desire for idolatry. There wasn't a desire for idolatry that we can't even begin to understand. But the difference between idolatry, and this is very important, and this will we'll summarize what we just spoke about for the past like five minutes. This, the difference between idolatry and, and serving God is idolatry is I'm serving me. I am going to do something as long as I could get something from it. So, idolatry means I can get it this way, I'll do it this way. It's a shortcut, no problem. Because ultimately, there's one thing that matters in this world, and that's me. And as long as I can get it, I don't care how I get it, that's how I'm going to get it. Idolatry is serving me. Serving God is serving God. Without me involved in it. Is there going to be a ripple effect of me, positive things happening? Yeah, of course. But that's not the reason why I'm here. I'm here because I'm serving God. The difference is, is you are where your, uh, I guess you could say where your perspective is. You could look at it, Reb Simple, Reb Simple Wasserman goes and explains that, that the idolaters, they put themselves over their idol. You look at Paro. Parol in uh, Bereshit, chapter 41, verse 1, it says, In his dream, he was standing over the, the Nile River. And we know they used to, the Nile River was a god. It was an idol. Was, they used to worship to the, in, so, in Paro's dream, he was standing over the Nile. Yaakov, you know, also had a dream. In Yaakov, in Genesis, chapter 28, verse 12, And verse 13, it says, And God is standing over Yaakov. What is the difference over here? In the Nile, Paral was standing over his God. Yaakov, God was standing over him. There's a difference of where idolaters put God and where the Jewish perspective put God. Idolaters put God, I'm above you. And you are here to serve me. And as long as I can get what I want, then we're good. Otherwise, we're not. God, the way that the, the Judaism works, the way it is, no, no, no. God is above us and we are below. And the way that we are, we serve God is we're serving God going up, not going, not going, uh, down. This we can begin to understand. And if, and if you're a little bit cha- you know, unclear about what's happening, it's going to clarify. Just, just bear with me a little bit more. It's going to clarify a little, uh, in a little bit. The Gemara Shabbat, page 105, says like this. It says that somebody who loses his temper, it says, if you worship, you know, Abu now we can begin to understand this concept. We can begin to understand this, this idea of Avodah Zarah in idol worship. I'm sorry, Avodah in, in, uh, Zarah in losing temper. What happens when someone gets, loses their temper? Meaning that you offended me. There's something that should have happened to me. I said this was supposed to happen. There's something in me that got offended. That's why I, I get angry. Because you did something wrong to me. Meaning the emphasis is me. It's all about me. Just like idolatry. Idolatry, it's all about me. Anger is all about me. Says the Gemara, just like idolatry is all about me and that's serving idols, so too anger, since it's all about you, it's also serving uh, your idols. The, you know, there was once a, a story about the Vishnu Rebbe that, um, you know, a lot of people, before Pesach, they would go to the uh, matzah factories and they would make their own matzos Because, you know, you have to be very, very meticulous on matzah and chametz and all these things. People are very, very meticulous and they actually go and they bake it before Pesach. So, there was this entourage of people that went into to you know to bake for four and everybody's on like there's like not even a little bit of water not even this you know very very meticulous in everything they do there was one guy that was sitting over there and you know he was doing his, ma- his matzot and somebody else who was also working with him messed up a little bit and he started getting so angry and he says how are you doing this you're making everything everything everything's destroyed everything's ruined now everything's not kosher and he's going on and on so the rabbi goes over to him and he says what's going on over here he says why are you getting so upset he says, Rabbi, don't you know? He says, As if he's telling the, the rabbi, he says, don't you know? Even a little bit of chametz is, is, is forbidden on Pesach. So the rabbi responds to him, he says, you know, a little bit of anger is worse than a little bit of chametz. He says, because people don't put things in perspective. We put, we put things in the way that we want to see it. You know what anger is? Anger has the ability to destroy relationship. It has the ability to destroy lives. You don't think clearly. It's 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 worshiping yourself is when you get angry. I'm not saying it's easy to withstand and withhold anger, but I'm but you have to understand the foundations of it and where it stands. It's based off the same idea, the same ideology as 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 idolatry. It's the same the same concept that you're going and it's all about me and it's nobody else is matters. Nobody else is important other than me. The idea when you're going and and you want to have a real relationship with god a real relationship with god is not contingent on our needs a real relationship with god has nothing to do the idea is that if let's say you pray and you don't get something and you stop praying that was a that was a prayer that that was a relationship that was based off a one that was a partnership hey god okay listen i have to pray i'm sorry i'll pray i'll do this thing just you know here's my checklist and i need this stuff that's not a that's not a relationship that's a partnership you do this you get this that's not what Judaism is. That's not what true prayer is. That's the essence of idolatry. And of course, it's not idolatry. If you go to God and just ask for things, and then once you, you don't get it, you stop praying, obviously that's not idolatry. But the, the, the essence of it is the same, the same foundation as idolatry. The, you know, and, and by the way, you should know that it's not a problem. You should ask God for everything that you want and anything that you want. You should ask for it. But you have to realize, you have to understand the concept of people that stop, you know, they say, okay, listen, God doesn't want to answer me. How do you know? How do you, you know, in fact, I'll share with you the story. There was a person, a kid by the name of Jerry. This Jerry, um, he uh, had a very hard time. He lived in a very upscale Hollywood, you know, California uh, neighborhood, um, and he had a very, very hard life, as many of the, you know, people that live over there do in this type of, uh, you know, financial situation, and, um, that's sarcastic, by the way, and um, he, the hardship in his life was he had two sisters, and... He was always to blame. He had two twin sisters, and everything that happened wrong, it's always Jerry's fault. Everybody blames Jerry, and he's sitting over there. And every time they, they do something wrong, they blame him, and he gets punished. And one time, he's you know, bemoaning his ill fate in his king-sized bed over there, um, you know, in his in, you know, in his duplex room, duplex room over there. And he's sitting over there, and he's like, God, he's like, he's like, what's going to be? He's like, how am I going to solve my problem over here? He says, How am I going to fix this? He says, It's not fear. It's always the girls against me, and they are always winning. So he's thinking, and he's thinking, he says, you know what? He says, the only way that I could win is I have to get somebody else on my side. He says, I need another brother. He says, there were three, boy- there were three children in the family. There were two boys, two, uh, two girls and one boy. He says, if I get another boy on my side, then it's two against two. Then we're going to have a fair fight, and then we'll see who wins. So he goes, and he starts speaking to God. He starts praying to God. He says, God, he says, this is Jerry, um, you know, I know you could hear me. Uh, and he says, listen, he says, I know I haven't been a good Jew. Um, didn't even know what a good Jew is. Uh, you know, the family went to synagogue, you know, Rosh Hashanah on Yom Kippur on good years. And that's about it. He says, but if you give me this, if you give me another brother, I promise you, God, Zai Jerry, promise you that I will be the best Jew that I can be. So uh, he goes and he feels satisfied with his prayer. And he says, okay, he says, it's good. Ten-year-old finishes prayer and he says, that's it. Then he goes and he, you know forgets about it. And then he remembers and he's like, he's like, wait a minute. He says, how am I going to know if, let's say, I do get another brother? How am I going to know that God answered me because of my prayer? Maybe it just happened. He says, you know, so he had a postscript. He's like, he's like, God. He's like, it's me again. Um, this is a little extension on my uh, you know plea bargain over here. He says, listen. He says, the way he says you're going to have to give me a sign that I know it was from my prayer that you listened to me. He says, the sign is that let the baby be born on my birthday. If I have a baby brother born on my birthday, I know it's from my prayer, and then you know I'm going to be the best Jew. Fine. He goes and, you know, he's 10 years old, the next day he forgets about it. He's playing his stuff, and he, and, and he goes on in life as, you know, as usual. A few months go by, and he's sitting with his parents on a train. And uh, they're sitting on, the, on this train... And they, um, you know, he, he looks over at his father and his father's whispering over to the mother. The mother is smiling and nodding and, the, you know, she whispers something back to him and he's smiling and nodding. So um, he goes over to the, you know, the, the, it was, you know, Jerry sitting over there next to his two sisters. And he goes and the father goes and says, you know, children, we would like to share some good news with you. And, you know, so they all stop. They listen and says, listen, you know, you know, you know your mommy is expecting another baby. And the girls are jumping in joy and this. And suddenly Jerry is sitting over there and he's like, you know, it's like a, he's like a small creepy smile goes all over his face. And he's like, interesting. He's like, okay. And all of a sudden he remembers his deal. And they see that the, you know, the, you know, he's, he's like, you know, smiling and quiet. He's like, Jerry, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, are you sure you're taking this a bit off? He's like, listen, he says, um, you know, it's going to be a boy and it's going to be born on my birthday. And he's like, you know, what are you talking about, Jerry? He says, we you know, this is a, and they were like, listen, he, the, Jerry tells his parents, says, listen, I made a deal with, with God. And, uh, that, uh, God is going to give me another baby brother. And, uh, as a sign, it's going to be burned on my, uh, born on my birthday. So, you know, I mean, there's a, you know, it was a very secular people that are dealing with. They were like, listen, you know, God loves you. I mean, they didn't, couldn't, you know, start explaining about God and Judaism. But they couldn't discredit him either because, just so happened to be that the due date just so happened to be around the birthday as well. I mean, so they, they were like, okay, fine. So they, you know what, every time they spoke about the baby in front of Jerry, it was always a he, you know, they always pretend to be he, but, you know, they didn't know the, you know the gender of the baby, and they continued going as, as, you know, as it was. It came to the ninth month, the mother's in the ninth month, and all of a sudden the mother is uh, gets a call from the doctor. And, uh, the you know, the, the gynecologist goes and says, listen, he says... Um, I am going to be traveling out of the country, you know, when you're due, when you're due date. He says, but two days before, before your due date, he says, if you want, he says, I can deliver, we can induce the baby and I could deliver it and I could do the delivery or you could just get the other doctor on call. It's up to you. He says, but I'm not going to be over here. So they were thinking back and forth. They said, you know what? Let's, uh, um, you know, let's, uh, let's just, you know, we'll induce it. I said, she says, I rather, I rather get, you know, it, it go with you, someone I'm comfortable with and we'll do the early labor. And they went to the early labor. And Mazatov, Mazal Tov, it turns out it's a healthy baby boy. And Jerry is ecstatic. He's so happy. And now he's thinking, he says, wait a minute. He says, but like, he says, you know, the, you know it was born a few days before his birthday. His birthday was, uh, was April. It was, uh, was, uh, it was born on April 4th. And he says, this was a few days before his birthday. He says, but then he was thinking, you know, he was being an honest Jew. He says, listen, you know, my mother was induced. He says, if she wouldn't have been induced, she probably would have been born. On the same day of my birthday, the, the baby boy. And he says, You know what? And I have to hold up to my promise. So he made the thing, he says, God kept his end of the deal, I'm going to keep my end of the deal. The only problem is, you know, he's almost 11 years old. This is what is a secular you know, kid in Hollywood going to know about keep being a better Jew? He didn't know anything about it. So this always kept you know, in him in the back of his mind. And uh, he came to his uh, bar mitzvah age. And, you know, in that particular area of town, you know, when the, the, these, these affluent Hollywood fa- families, when they had a bar mitzvah, they had a bar mitzvah. Um, it wasn't, you know, you can call it a party. But they had a real party. But, you know, a lot of the boys, they went and they prepared learning from the, from the Torah. They, they learned a little bit basic stuff. And then they had a big bash and they would, you know, invite Justin Bieber and whatnot into their um, amazing spiritual, you know, heightened, uh, you, know, uh, you know, celebration. They, uh, in any case, they go and um, this Jerry said, listen, he goes to his dad. He says, dad and mom, listen, he says, I also want to have a bar mitzvah. All my friends are having a bar mitzvah. They also want to have one. So this is fine. They booked a hall, they booked a caterer, and then they booked a rabbi also to teach him the, you know, some of the, you know, the stuff that he needs to learn for a Bar Mitzvah. And he went and he started learning. And the rabbi had a had a. It uh, was a very smart rabbi. And he he said, you know, listen. He says, I'll teach you, no problem. But I have a few requirements. He says these kids, they're never learning anything about Judaism. They're in public school. They're doing their their boarding schools, whatever it is. He says if you want to go with me, no problem. You they, he gets tested. You're gonna learn a few books about Judaism. Then you get tested, and then I can begin to teach you about the Torah and all you know, the Torah, reading the Torah. And that's what that's what happened. And Jerry started reading these books, and it just sank in. He he just loved it. He's like, you, you know, as a 13-year-old, he was able to just breathe this all in, and he's like, this is so beautiful. This is so unbelievable. This is so amazing. And, you know, came his bar mitzvah, and went his bar mitzvah, but he kept on going to the rabbi. Every Thursday night, he would take his bike, and he would travel to the rabbi, and he kept on going, kept on studying with the rabbi, to the extent that eventually, he began to practice what he learned. And he began keeping Shabbat. He began putting on tefillin. He began walking five miles every day to just walk to shul on Shabbat. So, you know, the rabbi started wondering, you know, religious people wasn't a very common thing in his congregation, if you could understand the congregation that he's dealing with. And uh, he says, what's got it with this kid? This 13-year-old kid is not only after that, but he's still sticking up to it, right? and he's going furthermore on it. So one time he goes over to, the, you know, to Jerry and he says, Jerry, he says, uh, what's up with you? He says, what's going on? He says, how, how is it that all your friends, you know, they came and they went, and you're staying over here, and you're continually learning the Torah. So... Jerry goes and he says, um, he brings down the whole story. He says, listen, he says, I made a deal with God. And I have to keep my end of the deal. And he brings down the whole story. His brother, this, his sister, as he made this whole deal on the birthday. So the rabbi is listening and he says, okay, this is interesting. He says, um, he says, uh, question though, he says, uh, you know, God doesn't do half on his promises. He says, when is your, when was your, when is your birthday? So he says, April 6th, 1959. And he says, "Oh, okay." He says, uh, um, and when was the baby born?" He says, "April 4th." And he says, he says, "Okay, but says that's the secular date. What's the Hebrew date?" And Jerry's like, what, what's the difference? Hebrew, and so he didn't even realize there was a difference. He says, of course there's a difference in Hebrew and secular date. You think, you think if God is going to make you, b- someone born on your birthday, he's going to do it on the, on the secular date? What's a secular date? It means nothing. He says, you got to check the Hebrew date. The rabbi takes out this old binder, has like a 50 year old calendar. He opens up to April 6, 1959. He looks to see what the day, what day is it of the Hebrew calendar? It's the second day of Nisan. He says, what day was your, was your baby, uh, brother born? He says, April 4th, 1970. Turns over to 1970, April 4th. Guess what day it is? Second day of Nisan. He says, God didn't change in his promise. God gave you exactly what he, you know, exactly what you requested. Today, Jerry Springer, I'm sorry, no, no, Jerry. Jerry turned into Rabbi Shmuel Gordon. Rabbi Shmuel Gordon, he turned into a rabbi, and now he travels far and wide to go and teach, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, the, you know, Judaism, true story, yeah, teach uh, Teach Judaism to, uh, um, you know, to, to the uh, To the unaffiliated. You have people, that they go and they have a prayer, and they think they don't get answered, or they think they almost got answered. So how do you know? to judge where you don't get answered how do you know that you didn't get answered many times we think we don't get answered but we do get answered I had a conversation with somebody uh, last Shabbat and I was explaining like this you have let's say somebody goes and prays for money and he says you know what I didn't get the money I says, but, but wait a minute did you get everything that you need are you lacking something he says no I'm not lacking anything but I didn't get what I wanted He says, oh, how do you? so in his mind he was praying for 7 billion dollars he didn't get 7 billion dollars but he got it. all his money expenses were covered so when we're looking at a prayer and we think we didn't get answered, how do you know you didn't get answered? Maybe you didn't get answered. Are you looking at it from the right lens? Look at this story about Jerry. Jerry thought that, okay, he got answered very close. No, no, no. He got answered exactly. We have to put on the right glass. When you want to look at signs, there's two ways to look at it. You could see a sign and say, oh, it's all, you know, just how it so happened to be just, you know, by accident. Or you could look at a sign and you could see that it's exactly from what God intended it to happen. You have, uh, uh, you know, I asked an atheist once. I asked an atheist. I, said, I asked him did a miracle ever happen to you? You know what he told me? He says, no. I said, that's a very sad reality. He says, everybody in life, everybody sitting over here can think of something miraculous that happened to them. Again, you might not have been falling from the sky and all of a sudden you know, a hand just like swifted you up over there and lifted you up and you know, neatly put you down on the ground. But in a miracle, miraculous state, there's something that happened in your life. There's something that you could say like, you know what, God, thank you. Like you are watching me. For somebody not to realize that nothing ever miraculous happened in their life, that's not because nothing miraculous happened in their life, that means because they're not looking. They're not opening their eyes, they're not looking with the right perspective. The the idea of of prayer is when you're praying for something, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get exactly the way that you ask for it. It's gonna come but a different way. But if you're praying only to get something and you don't get it, guess what? That is the wrong way for prayer. That is a prayer, that is not isn't. That that is the, the ideology of idolatry. That is what doubt. It's all about me. I'm here for me and no one else. So until now, I just, we were just discussing majority, most of the time really discussing the idea of how not to do it. Now let's try to discuss how to pray. What is the correct way to pray? That's the idea of idolatry. So far so good? Yeah? Maybe a little bit? Okay, good. Okay, good. Rab Shem Shem Shempinkas goes and says like this. It says, when you are dealing with prayer, the Gemara in Tanit says that prayer is known as Avodah. Avodah is, uh, when, when you look at Avodah, there is two ways to uh, that you could translate avodah. Either based off a pasuk in Shemot chapter one verse fourteen, and they embittered the lives with hard work. Is talking about the Egyptians when they when they made the Jewish people work very hard. What is avodah f- referring to over here? It's referring to physical physical labor, physical difficult labor. So it either could be working like the avodah is working, or it could be as in the Bamidbar, in Numbers chapter four verse forty seven. It's a service for the on service for the the Mishkan, service for. Say a it's, it's, a, it's instead of work, it's servitude. To be, to be able to serve. To serve God. The Gema'an Yuma, page 42a says, you know, the slaughtering of the koban is not the avudah. When you're going, the, 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 the work of the kohen doesn't have to be, the, the kohen doesn't have to slaughter the, the animal. The, the kohen has to sprinkle the blood. The blood part is the avudah, the slaughtering is not. Even though the slaughtering is a lot more difficult, a lot more tedious than the actual sprinkling of the blood. Now why is that? Because, one of the foundations, and one of the things of prayer, of Avodah, is to nullify your own importance. This is the foundation, this is something we're really going to try to focus on, the self-nullification. The idea that we see this best over here is by bowing down. What happens when someone bows down? When the difference, let's say, between a lion and a human is tremendous in the physical sense, and also tremendous in the intellectual sense. Like, a human cannot beat a lion just based off physical strength but a human can beat and capture a line based off their intellect. They're able to go and figure out a way to capture them and that's how they're able to beat it. When you go and you bow down, the, the, you know, prostrate yourself, like l- literally face down on the floor, you're putting your feet and your head at the same level, meaning that the distance, the difference between my feet and my head and God are the same. Like it doesn't matter that I'm slightly, you know, I'm smarter than an animal. It doesn't matter. I'm self nullification. I am nothing. Like the level of, of my feet, and that no matter how smart I am, I'm still the level of my feet. That's how you you nullify yourself in front of God. That's the idea of bowing down. The the self nullification of before God. It says Reb Peak is the greatest drawback for prayer. The greatest drawback for avodah is failing to self nullify. Is failing to do this. You have to realize that the idea of self nullification is also the idea that everything comes from God. Everything is from God. To explain this, there is a, uh, um, a machloket regarding the obligation to pray reg- with the Ramban and Ramban. Maimonides and Nachmanides. Ramban says that there is a Torah-obligated mitzvah to pray every single day. The Ramban says, no, the Torah-obligated mitzvah is only to pray when you're in trouble. The rabbinic mitzvah is to pray every single day. Now, what is the difference over here? The difference over here is, let's say somebody prayed already, and then they came into trouble. Let's say they prayed, and then, God forbid, their child fell down the stairs. So now they're in a, in a trouble situation. So according to the Ramban Maimonides, they fulfilled the obligation of prayer. They prayed already. But according to the Ramban Nachmanides, says, no, now they have a Torah obligation to pray. Now that they have to pray because that they're, they're, troubled. There's something that's troubling them. Obviously, this should not be withheld. Somebody who doesn't fall down, so you don't take out the elim and say la You take the person to the hospital first. But than saying the prayer, it has to be a, you know, a very important aspect to it. Medical care should not be uh, delayed because of, of prayer. The, but the difference over here is, is, is that, you realize that when you're in a situation, you are required to pray. To the extent that the Sefer Chinuch, if I'm not mistaken, says that if you don't pray while you're in trouble, you violated a positive biblical commandment. You had a positive biblical commandment that you have to pray. And if you didn't pray when you're in trouble, why not? Why didn't didn't you do that? You're supposed to. You're required to. It is a a biblical commandment. According to the yeah, yeah. If you're in trouble, pray. pray. God, please save me. No, one is rabbinic and one is, is biblical. Where it's a if you know, Ramban and Ramban. But regardless, you're in a you're in a trouble situation. You pray. That's what you're supposed to do as a Jew. You're in a trouble situation. You pray. Like a natural reaction. Not for everybody. Um, some people have other four letter words that come out of it as a natural reaction. <laughs> uh, you know, the um, listen, Avodah is also a four letter word. So uh, the briskarov. The Briskorov used to go before somebody used to come to him for advice and let's say would, would ask for something. It was, a, you know, it, was a, it was a lot of serious stuff that he has to deal with over here. And he would pray. He would go and he would start praying because he says this is an obligation. So someone comes to me for advice. He realizes the, the severity of it and it's time, for, you know, it's time to pray. The... Idea is that why are we praying when we're in difficult state? Because really, everything everything is God. We're self it's self nullification. It's nothing to do with us. Everything is God. Everything comes from God. To the extent that Rambam says like this, the Rambam says that how should a person pray? It should start off with a praise. Then the person should ask what he needs, and then he should end with a praise. Why do we have to start with a praise and then end with a praise? Why don't you just ask? He says, because in order for a tefillah to be an avodah, in order for a tefillah to be a correct prayer, it has to be something that, is, that it comes from self-nullification. It has to, you have to realize who you're speaking to. You're speaking to God who gave you everything and who will give you everything. You start off with a with, you know, praise, and you end off with a praise realizing that everything is from you. Everything that good happen, everything, everything is from you, and only you can help me. Once you put yourself in that perspective, then you're able to go and you're able to ask. Then you're putting yourself in the right, in, you know, in the right, in the right mindset. The, you know, many people have a very misunderstanding in kavana. Kavana is like the intent. Uh, what's a good translation for kavana? Concentration. Concentration, intent. I, I don't know. Probably nothing good. You know, as a as a as a good translation for it. But if somebody has good, you know, people think, you know, what's kavana? You get to something and you concentrate. You oh, you just destroy the words. You concentrate it. You're like nothing else, which is great. You should do that. But that, that's not what it says because it's not kavana. Kavanah, greater Kavanah does not mean greater concentration. It says, Greater Kavanah means that you increase your awareness of Hashem's infinite greatness, its unlimited abilities. The more that you do that, the greater your Kavanah is. Extra Kavanah means, he goes like this, and I'm going to quote for you. It says, Hashem, you're so great. Your kindness is literally infinite, and there is nothing that can stand in your way. It says, You control and direct how everything. So please, God, heal the sick person. That is Kavanah. Kavanah is realizing who you're speaking to. Realizing what we just said the first four, you know, the first four principles of God, you know, dealing with. Realizing what God is. God is everything. God comes from everything. God gives you everything. God is the source of everything. Once you realize that, then you can have the proper Kavanah. Then you have the proper self-nullification and then you can have the proper awareness of what really God is. And you can really really uh, have the true, uh, a true prayer. The, this is why the standard form of Avodah, which uh, by the way, Avodah, prayer, the same idea, it was a Kavanah. Now we don't have Kavanah, so we have the prayers. The, the, three prayers and said the kobanah what is the kobanah? it was a slaughtering the, what is more self-nullifying than a slaughtering of an animal the blood that comes out was when, the, when you're slaughtering an animal for a, for a koban it's as if you're being on the koban that's complete and pure and utter self-nullification. That is the sense of everything. That is the sense of everything. But how much of us fail in this concept? How much of us... Nobody knows about this for some reason. Like, this is such a this is such a foreign concept. When we say, we sit and pray, but we're doing it wrong. We're not doing it the right way. Again, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing it the way that you're doing it until now. That's fine. You, at least you're doing something. But you have to realize the aspect, the true power of prayer. The, the idea over here is realizing that God is behind everything and anything. Even to the extent, you know, that... When people have failures, they usually blame it on God. When people have success, they usually blame it on themselves. It so, says, you know, I'm a good businessman, what can I tell you? You know, failed 16,000 businesses. Oh, God, God hated me for free, you know, but I, something happened and I fixed myself. And now God is out of my way. Now I can do business. You know, like as if you take the failures, you put it on God, you take your success and you put it on you. So the success and the failure both come from God. Both come from God. You know, you know where you see this the most? Somebody unfortunately loses their job. People that believe in God, what is the first thing that they say? You know, it's all from God. God has a bigger plan. God has a better, you know, something bigger and better for me. And, and rightfully so. That's the right attitude to have. But what happens if that same person gets a bonus? You know, double their salary. Do they say, God has a greater plan for me, I must give more charity? What happens when they all of a sudden they get a bonus? When they lose their job, all of a sudden it's all because God has a greater plan. When they gain, you know, more money, does God also have a plan? Do they also give more charity? Do they spend more time learning? What happens with that? And the more that you contemplate on this, the more that you can see the the separation that we have over here. But in essence, the success and the failures all come from God. And in fact, Rabbi Noah Weinberg used to say that if you think that you could succeed in something. Then you already fail because who says that you're going to succeed? He says the only way that you're going to be able to succeed, succeed in something is to realize that it's all from God. And if God wants you to succeed, then you succeed. If God doesn't want you to succeed, then you don't succeed. How you know? Some people go and they say, "There's no way that I'm going to be able to accomplish this." He says, "Who gave you the right to say that? Who did you succeed in anything in your life? Everything was from God. Everything that you succeeded in, God. You have the, you have one thing that you have to think about. What am I supposed to do? What is the right thing to do? If this is the right thing to do, so I'm doing it. If I'm going to succeed or fail, that's up to God." But I have to do the right thing. That is your focus in your life. You have to realize that everything is in God's hand. Everything is in God's hand. When you have this concept, then your prayer is a different prayer. Your prayer, when you're going into prayer, you're not going into a prayer saying, you know, like, okay, God, please help me this, please it, It's a completely different aspect of it. It's going in from a completely different angle. And not only that, what happens if you're going to go and knowing that everything is from God? And you give the prayer, knowing that God hears you, God is close to you. He says, the idea of you. Failing the, after that prayer of saying, "Okay, God did listen to that prayer," is very slim. He says, "Because you just said that God has everything. If God has everything, then God did this to you. If God did this to you, then there's a reason. Does this doesn't mean that you shouldn't stop praying. You understand the, the thought process? Are you guys with me in that? Okay. You know you don't have to nod your head just because I asked you the question. You can say no. Well, the Torah goes and says describes prayer like this. He says that a person who focuses his heart and thoughts and he his intentions are purified while he's praying, he gets like the ancient pious men, the ancient men who reached the level." of, like, transcending physicality to the level, close to the level of prophecy. So are still referring to prayer. When you're doing prayer, the right way, you're getting to the close level of prophecy. Why is the Torah going and explaining that it's a close to the level of ancient prophecy? Because what is prophecy? Prophecy is a close connection to God. So close that you can hear God speak. That is what prayer is. Prayer is you're getting a close connection to God. Cesar says, Shim says that Shabbos is a Jew's heart. Shabbat is the heart of a Jew. Emunah is a Jew's mind. Tfila prayer is the Jewish blood. The Jew blood. The blood is constantly flowing throughout your entire your entire body. That's why you realize everything in Jews. It's always circled around prayer. Like even blessings. We're making blessings before. We're making blessings after. We're praying to God and all. It's the blood. The blood is something that is constantly has to be in every part of the body every single second. If not, the thing starts dying. The second that you have blood flow de- that ceases to 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 deliver to a certain part of your body, your body starts shutting down in that particular area. Prayer needs to constantly work, just like the blood. It has to be constantly going throughout your entire, your, your, your entire your entire body. So, so let's try to, let's try to give this like a like a just a clear recap of what we're what we what we discussed here. We start, we started off with saying that what well, that the difference between idolatry and prayer. What's the difference between idolatry and prayer? Idolatry, the focus is only about me only about me true prayer is not focused only about me it's focused about God it's focused about the greater, greater picture but idolatry it's all about me and starts with me and ends with me and everything has to do with me if I can get what I want then good everything else it doesn't matter when people go and they pray just based off me then again it's not idolatry but it's the sense that you're messing up that's not the true prayer it's not, the, it's not the true essence of prayer. The true essence of prayer is to realize who you're dealing with. To realize that you're sitting in front of God. God who created everything. Yesh mi'ayin. Everything from nothing. God who is one. Who is the, from the good and from the bad. God who doesn't have any physical body. God who is eternity. God who is so close to you that doesn't need an intermediary. God that everything that good that happened in your life happened because of that. And everything bad happened also because of God. Because God loves you and cares about you and there's a reason for that. Everything happened because of God. And everything is ultimately from God. When you realize that then you can begin praying in a different angle. There's a self-nullification. There's just like the bowing, the prostrating, and just like the shekhting that you're slaughtering. You're saying, I'm nothing, I'm not, everything is from you. You're bringing yourself to a level that you're able to go and nullify yourself in front of God, realizing that everything is from God. Once you do that, your prayer is a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different ballgame to the extent that you'll never have the, the idea, the thought, that maybe you didn't get answered, because it doesn't matter. I'm praying to God. It's not about me. It's about God. And of course we want to get answered. Of course we want to hear our prayers getting answered. And Ms. Hashem, may we all hear our prayers getting answered exactly the way that we want to see them. And may we all have tremendous amount of merit in our prayers that we'll be able to help not only ourselves, but also every single other Jew around us. And we should be praying for everybody else. And you should know, this is something important that I cannot, and, and I, I have to say this when you, when you speak about prayer, if you really want to get answered about something, if you really have something that you really want, pray for somebody else who has the same exact issue once you pray for somebody who has the same exact issue that, that puts it also on a, such a high le- higher level that, that your prayer it says call somebody who goes and prays for his friend he gets answered first or she gets answered first so the essence of prayer is, is a very very important one and we'll see how this continues into the next week when we're going to speak about prophecy how it's also correlated to it any questions? If the, okay good we must, thank you Let's say you really want your friend to be answered first? Yeah. That means you're doing it right. Because <laughs> if you if you're like, Okay, God, listen, there's a trick over here, so uh, you know, please make my friend get married first. <clears throat> I also want to get married and I also want to have a successful husband, and I also want to you know, like so if you really then you're doing it right. You re- if you really want to get your friend answered first, then it should be that I way. Oh, both of them have <laughs> Maybe they've been praying for you. Yeah. <laughs> You, you should know, by the way, that when you're dealing with this, there's no like, um, people think like, you know, like, okay, you go 40 days to the cocktail, everything that you'll pray will come true. There's a lot of other factors that come into play, in, in, you know, into, into perspective over here. There's a lot of other factors that are important to understand over here. But what we're saying, this is a skulad, meaning that this is, you ha- you make your prayer, you have, let's say you have a, a, you know, meter of the power of the prayer. So you have, a, let's say, a power prayer of 10, all of a sudden you pray for somebody else, that brings a power of 50. So, I mean, does it mean that you're going to get answered? No, but you have a stronger power of it. You have a stronger possibility of it. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think so too. We want to get, I don't know, right. So excellent question. The question is like this. The question is idolatry. Um, I mentioned that it's it's all based off me. It's worship off, off uh, you know me and, and working that. But Judaism is also like that because every mitzvah that you do. You're doing it that you should get, you know, because you're getting closer to God, you're getting the reward, you're getting, you know, it's bringing you something closer. However, while that's true, that is not the ultimate purpose of Judaism. The highest level of Judaism is not to serve God for reward. It's to serve God that you don't get reward. And because of that, I'll I'll share with you something that I wasn't going to share yet. There are certain things that if you don't believe in it, you don't have, you lose your share in the world to come in these 13 principles of faith. Except for the idea of reward and punishment. Why not reward and punishment? Because the ultimate idea of doing something, you should not be doing it for reward. You should be doing it because God told you to do it. Not because of anything else that comes out of it. Granted, you will get something out of it. There will be reward that comes out of it, but that should not be your motivational force to do it. That's a very high level. It's not easy for everybody. Sometimes it's very difficult. But the the idea of Judaism is not for the reward. Granted, you will get the reward. You will get the benefit that comes out of it. But the source of it is not for that. Ultimately, put it this way. Ultimately, things are you're going to get benefit from things. There's no way of not getting getting around not getting benefit. You're going to get benefit. You're going to go and you're going to go let's say, learn lot. Uh, you're going to enjoy it. Ah, uh, you're benefiting from it. You're going to benefit it. The point is not to not benefit from it. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you're not supposed to benefit from it. The point is, what is your origin reason for doing something? If your origin reason for doing something is for me, then you're doing it wrong. You're, if your origin reason is to doing it for God, and then you're going to get a benefit from it, that's, that's, that's two different worlds. You're not, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, um, your viewpoint, your starting point is not me. Your starting point is God. Ultimately, you're going to get to this point that it's going to be me, but that is not where you're starting from. You you understand the difference. Of of course, not only you still you should have pleasure from these things. Yeah, if that wasn't clear, then let me, let, let's make this clear. You, Judaism, you have a uh, tremendous amount of pleasure from things that you do. Tremendous amount. There's like, you know, it's amazing. Shabbat, you, know, all the, you could go on and on, learning Torah, there's tremendous amount of pleasure. And, you're, and not that you're not allowed, of course you're allowed to get pleasure from these things, and you're required to you know, be, be, get pleasure from these things. But when you're going, and you could even go, you get to the point where you're coming to classes, you're learning Torah because you're enjoying it. You're doing it because you're enjoying it, and that is fine. But the source of you fo- being, following God and doing in Judaism is not because to get something from me. That is not the ultimate point. The ultimate point is, is, you know, because this is what God wants and this is what God asked. Now, even though that's you know that's just one one you know nuance in idolatry. That's not a fa- you know there's many different problems with idolatry. The, the idolatry is not the only problem. It's only about me. That's just one of the many problems. And one of, you know also another problem is that you're focusing, you're 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 praying to a fake god. You're praying, you know, God gave you everything, and then you're going. It's a, sort of be considered committed adultery. You know, you're cheating. You're going and you're and you're worshiping a fa- uh, you know false idol. There is many many problems that you're dealing with idolatry. This is just one of them. Um, one of the many issues. If let's say you go and you decide that the purpose of it all for Judaism, let's say, and let me make this very clear, let's say the purpose of all Judaism is so I should get reward. That's all I'm doing it for. I'm doing it. Uh, you know, I know God said it, but I don't care. I'm doing it for reward. But God said uh, so we can get reward. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm yeah. I'm giving you this hypothetical situation, right? You're doing it only for reward, for Olam Ba, for whatever it is. You're doing it for reward. That is not considered idolatry. In fact, keep on doing what you're doing. That's fine. That is 100% okay. That is not considered idolatry. Idolatry is not something that you're doing something good for your own benefit. So I hope this is very clear. It doesn't mean that I'm doing something and I'm doing it only because of my own benefit and then it makes it idolatry. Not at all. You can do many good things for your own benefit and that's considered that's considered that it's it's a great thing. What I'm saying by idolatry is all about me. It's one of the foundations of what idolatry represents. It's The focus is all about me. And Judaism, your focus could be about you. The focus could be about God, it should be about God, but it could be about you also. It doesn't change the fact that you're doing the right thing. It doesn't make it idolatry. Maybe that's where I got you guys, I lost you guys over there about it. Because it's 100% okay to do it that way. You could do it, you could serve God out of getting reward, it's fine. You know, there's a Mishnah Peke Avod, you know, the Tzedukim, you know, they came out, you know, because, because, you know, from the master that went, and they said, they heard the master says, you're not supposed to serve God out of getting reward. So they, are, they misunderstood it and said, oh, you know what that means that you don't get reward? So what's the point of being Jewish? What's the point of doing everything? So they went and they became secular. Well, so, whatever, they twisted the Torah. Of course, you're allowed, to, you're allowed to serve God if you're getting reward. You're allowed to serve God if you're getting benefit. And ultimately, you will be getting a benefit from it. And that's not considered idolatry. What I'm saying is that idolatry, one of the foundations of idolatry is, it happens to me, it's all about me. It's it doesn't make it that everything that you do that is about me makes it idolatry. It's just one of the one of the forces of idolatry. Same thing as anger. Is that is that clear? I feel now I'm clear. And now I felt like it came out clear. I just told you, so you all have to nod. Now you all understand it. Okay. You know, because you're saying, once it's not about once I you get what you want, right. then you just drop it. Right. I understand what words I said that I should. You know. Okay. So thank you for for correcting that. Any other questions? Keep on praying. Yes, if you're praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying it doesn't happen, then you keep on praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. Maybe you could change your things a little bit, you know, maybe do a little bit of maybe, you know. this is you know. Well, we'll speak about prayer in length. I want to, there's a whole class I want to give on, you know, why God doesn't answer prayers. But, you know, whatever, you know, in due time. Okay, no other questions? Questions? Okay, we'll do it off camera. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.